Today's reading is from the Gospel of John. Hear now these words from the 15th chapter, verses 5 and 9 through 17. I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit, because apart from me you can do nothing. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay one's life, excuse me, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer, because the servant doesn't know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends, because I have made known to you everything that I heard from my father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that the father will give you whatever you ask him in my name. I am giving you these commands so that you may love one another. My sisters and brothers, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, Jimmy knew it was going to take a lot more than one day in the vineyard for him to become as good of a gardener as his grandmother. Can I go into the vineyard with you again tomorrow? asked Jimmy. Of course you can, said his grandmother. So a new day dawned. And out they went. With tools in his hands and eagerness in his heart, Jimmy walked briskly to the vineyard. In fact, it was only his grandmother's steady pace that kept Jimmy's walk from breaking into a run. He was so excited. He was so excited because he knew that today he was going to get to do more than just watch. Yes, today, Jimmy would get to do some pruning. Be careful, Jimmy. We don't want to cut that branch. That branch seems to be doing just fine. But Grandma, how can you tell? How can you tell where one branch ends and another begins? It's not easy, is it, Jimmy? But that's actually a good thing. It's one of the ways we know that this vineyard is a healthy vineyard. And it's also one of the ways that we know that this vineyard, our church, Our faith community is a healthy vineyard as well. This is the second week, you know, that we've gone into the vineyard with Jimmy and his grandmother. And I do hope these little trips into grandma's vineyard will nudge your imagination toward understanding Jesus's vineyard teaching in the way his disciples might have understood it. The disciples, you know, knew what our young friend Jimmy was only beginning to understand that when a grapevine is healthy, the branches are almost indistinguishable from one another, that it's almost impossible to tell where one branch ends and another begins, that they, they run together, weaving in and out as they grow out of one central vine. Can you see it? 
Can you imagine it? This was the picture Jesus was painting for his disciples in John 15. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit. And I don't know about you, but for most of my life, I've heard these words only as an urging towards spiritual disciplines. That abiding in Christ meant I needed to go to church or pray or read my Bible or put money in the offering plate or meditate on God's word. I heard this passage as a biblical mandate to be faithful in my personal relationship with Jesus. And these are all good things. And and actually, that's not right. These are all great things, vital things things, vital resources that help us remain in Jesus, as the passage says. But I also hope these trips into the vineyard with Jimmy and his grandmother will help us see that this is probably not the primary purpose of the picture Jesus was painting in John 15. Because this teaching is not exclusively about the personal relationship each of us has with Jesus. No, this parable or teaching, is specifically about the church. If we were standing in a vineyard with Jimmy and his grandma or with Jesus and his disciples, we would notice the branches were living together in a kind of interweaving mutuality, almost indistinguishable from one another. The image that's emerging from John 15 is one of interrelationship and mutuality and indwelling. It's a picture of community, a beautiful portrait of what life could and should be like in Christian community, though not the picture many of us have of Christian community. In fact, it doesn't even seem to be the picture that the Apostle Paul has for Christian community. You may remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul offers what has become a familiar image of the church, the body. The Christian community is one body with many parts. There are hands and feet, fingers and toes. Each part of the body has a distinct function in the body and no one part is any greater than any other part. And this is helpful because it reminds us that we are all interconnected, that there is not one member in the body that is any more important than any other member of the body. And it's also helpful because it reminds us that each of us is valuable, that each of us is important. It reminds us that we all belong to the body in our own special way. And we like that. We like belonging. And we like being special and feeling special. And in fact, we like it so much that we have invented and adopted several tests that help us understand how special and distinct we really are. Have you taken any of them? I think I've taken all of them. And because I've taken them, I know that there are many spiritual gifts that I don't have and a few that I do have. Maybe that's true for you as well. I'm, I'm sure it is. And because I've taken them, I, 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 well, I can't actually remember if I'm an otter or a lion, but I'm pretty sure I'm not a golden retriever, though I do own one and I like them. And I, I'll leave you in suspense about my Enneagram number if you don't already know that. And on the Myers-Briggs, I'm almost positive I'm an INTJ, except for on the days when I think I'm an ENTJ. And I've always thought that as a pastor, it would be helpful to be a woo. Are any of you a woo on the strengths finder? I'm not a woo, but my wife Christy is a woo, so sometimes I watch her so that 
whenever I need to, I'll know what a woo might do. Paul's picture of Christian community seems to encourage such tests, such distinctions, but not John's. No, the picture of community in John 15 seems instead to emphasize the one body over the many parts. Jesus invites us to belong to a vineyard where we blend in more than we stand out, where being faithful seems to be less about what we as individuals are doing and more about how we as a community are loving. Notice verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now abide in my love. Abide in my love. I don't know about you, but there's something about that phrase that puts me at ease. Abide in my love. Jesus says, if we'll do it, our joy will be made complete. Abide in my love. It sounds both exciting and easy. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could spend our lives abiding in love? You know, last week, we didn't just venture into the garden with Jimmy and his grandmother, but we also took a little nostalgic detour into the world of Karate Kid. And if you're a Karate Kid fan, you probably remember that Daniel LaRusso's adventures in karate didn't end when he defeated the Cobra Kai. No, they actually made a sequel. They actually made a, a, a couple of sequels. And, and I have to say that first sequel was pretty good. My kids and I actually debate over which of those first two movies was the best. And, and if you haven't seen the second one, here's the recap. In Karate Kid 2, Danielson traveled with Mr. Miyagi to Okinawa, where Danielson encountered a new bully that was even better at karate than Johnny Lawrence and the Cobra Kai. And, and, and if you've seen the movie, or if, if you haven't, I'll share that there are a few things in particular that really stand out to me about that second movie. Number one, Danielson kara uh, chopped, karate chopped a block of ice in half, like six pieces of ice with his bare hands, which was pretty cool. Number two, the crane kick that was not supposed to be a defensible move in the first movie didn't work anymore. So Danielson had to learn a new unstoppable karate move that would in fact remain unstoppable until Karate Kid Part 3. And number three, Danielson falls in love again. And he fights for a girl again. But of course, not the girl he fell in love with in Karate Kid 1 and not the girl that was sort of but not really his love interest in Karate Kid 3. No, Danielson was a good guy, but it seemed he had a little bit of difficulty abiding in love. And this is understandable. Danielson had a lot of life left to live. And, and, and also, anyone who has ever attempted to love knows that abiding in the love of any one person isn't easy, especially when you're making a sequel. Because, you know, characters in general usually don't abide in love throughout an entire trilogy. It's, it's just difficult to get the same actors to come back for a second and a third or a fourth movie. And even more importantly, we know that you've got to keep selling movie tickets. And we all know it's much more interesting to watch characters fall in love than it is to watch characters abide in love. And it's possible that this could point us to deeper issues that we may need to pay attention to. Like how as a people we are infatuated with infatuation. And infatuation is not love. 
Infatuation is a feeling, a fleeting feeling, and Jesus is not talking about a fleeting feeling in John 15. Jesus is talking about something deeper. Jesus is talking about something sacrificial. Jesus isn't talking about an easy love, but an abiding love, the kind of love that might compel someone to give their life for their friends. And I think this is this is the kind of love that is actually more common than most of us might imagine. In fact, we, we, we probably wouldn't have to look too far to find it. It exists in friendships and marriages and families all around us. It, it, it exists in the love the parents and grandparents of our graduates have for our graduates. This is the kind of love that likely exists to some degree all around us. Sometimes we see it so clearly, but most of the time we don't because it hasn't been put to the test. And that's okay. Love doesn't need to be tested for it to be real. But you know, when it is tested, when, when real love is tested by suffering and sacrifice and struggle, well, that's so often when real love is revealed. Mother Teresa of Calcutta was one of those people whose love for God and others was tested in such a way. After she died, we learned from her private journals that she had loved God even through long seasons of her life when she didn't sense or feel God, which is impressive. And of course, one of the ways she loved God was through loving the dying and leprous people in her community. She loved them even when love wasn't easy. And it was never easy. Shane Claiborne spent a summer working with Mother Teresa in the slums of Calcutta and shares this story about the depth of Mother Teresa's love. He says, people often ask me what Mother Teresa was like. Sometimes it's like they wonder if she glowed in the dark or had a halo or something. She was short, wrinkled, and precious. Maybe even a little ornery, like a beautiful, wise old granny. But there is one thing I will never forget, her feet. Her feet were deformed. Each morning in mass, I would stare at them and I would wonder if she'd contracted leprosy. But of course, I wasn't going to ask, hey, mother, what's wrong with your feet? But one day a sister said to us, have you noticed her feet? And we nodded, curious. She said, her feet are deformed because we get just enough donated shoes for everyone. And mother doesn't want anyone to get stuck with the worst pair. So she digs through and finds the worst pair so she can wear those herself. And years and years of doing that have deformed her feet. Years of loving her neighbor as herself, years of abiding in the love of Christ have deformed her feet. Mother Teresa, she lived a good life, but not an easy life. John and Paul really were saying the same thing, something we really ought to pay attention to as we re-engage and regather in the days ahead as a church. John's gospel invites us to weave our lives indistinguishably together into the vine of Christ's love. And Paul invites us to give our lives to this body, to the body of Christ, so that every part of his body, hands, fingers, shoulders, and feet, might be formed and even deformed by his love.
in case you were wondering, his love is not an easy love, but it is a good love. And so in the days ahead, as we continue to live into the beautiful and difficult task of weaving our lives together, let us remember and never forget what John and Paul said. All you need is love.